Uh, we're going to be looking at verses 34 through 39, five verses. And I'm going I'm to go ahead and read it for us. Let me turn there as well. All right, it says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross... And follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So um, I'm going to start with a little story. Man, I had a girlfriend once uh, who was the perfect balance between elegance and, uh, how do I say this, crazy. Um, this this homegirl would, would be elegant one minute and then straight drama the next. Uh, now, now let me explain what I mean by crazy. Uh, I mean cause a scene in public, uh, would, would want to fight you, kind of crazy. That's what I'm talking about. I mean, you did the slightest thing wrong, and she's taking off her earrings, she's pulling back her hair, and she's ready to throw down. Um, now, I know some of you have no idea what I'm talking about, you know, because you didn't run into girls like that at St. Mary's or Hutchison, uh, but maybe some of you Germantown or Houston students can identify. But I, I had a girlfriend like that. Uh, anyways, needless to say, me and this girl, we didn't last for too long. And, and we broke up over the phone, of course, because I was terrified of her. Um, and a few months later, uh, I was hanging out with a different young lady at the time. And I just so happened to get invited to a party that one of my friends from church had invited me to. And so, so here I am. I decided to take this new girlfriend to the party. Uh, I think you kind of know where the story is going. Uh, and, man, we walked up there, and that party was packed. It was jam-packed with people, great music, great friends, just some good old times to be had. But not long after being there, some of my boys, they, uh, they pull me to the side and pretty much tell me that I made a very poor decision uh, in bringing this new girl to the party because, yes, uh, this crazy girl was there and she happened to be there. So now I, I hate to confess this to you, but when I found out this, this crazy girl was there, my heart started you know, beating a little bit faster. And sure enough, it was like almost in slow motion. In the middle of my, my boys telling me to watch out, it was like, here she comes. And she was coming straight to, towards me, hand on her hip. She caused a massive scene. Uh, I mean, it was like everything had stopped, and the spotlight just kind of shone on, on me and my new girlfriend at the time. And I can't even begin to tell you how thick uh, the tension was up in there. The, the, the tension in that room was so thick, and I was embarrassed. And needless to say, we ended up leaving the party a little early, as you could imagine. So, you know, as, as I reflect back on that incident, uh, I'm reminded of the fact that, that new relationships often, uh, new relationships often, uh, are sometimes bound to bring some degree of tension in a person's life, especially when they're old relationships. Uh, and it's just a fact of life. Get, get into some uh, sort of new relationship, and in some point you are going to experience tension, either with yourself or your, or your former or current relationships. This is exactly the point that Jesus is hammering in our text this morning. Uh, in very shocking ways, Jesus opens up our passage by saying, Now that you've fallen in love with me, now that you're in a relationship with me, don't think that there's, there's going to be peace, and I'll unpack that in a minute, so hold on there. Jesus says, no, instead, Jesus says that when I crash into your life and we get into a relationship and we go public, when your divine Facebook relationship status changes to in a relationship with Jesus Christ uh, and people start to see it, Jesus says, expect tension will occur. So in our passage, uh, Jesus says to expect it with our family, 
expect it with the world and expect it even with ourselves. Um, Jesus is very clear. Um, his, the terms that he says, when I come into your life and people see me in your life, it's going to cause tension. So let me pray real quick, um, and then we're going to get started. Uh, Father God, Lord, thank you um, just for the many things that you do for us, but not only the things that you do for us, but who you are. God, I pray that just um, as we're here this morning, we would take the, we would take the opportunity to listen to what your Holy Spirit um, has, has given us to, to hear this morning. Uh, God, I pray that we would um, just get to worship, just getting into diving your scriptures. Uh, Lord, we love you, and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you've, if you've heard me speak on the book of Matthew before, uh, then you've, you've learned that Matthew is written to the Jews, uh, a group of religious people. Again, the fact that Matthew writes his, his uh, gospel to a group of very religious people um, tells us that the gospel and religion are two very different things. Now, you've probably heard me through that whole spiel before, um, but it's, it's because there's, if there was one thing that I wish I would have learned early in my Christian faith, it's to never confuse the gospel with religion because they are two very different things. Uh, Paul points this out in 2 Timothy 3, 5 when he's describing people who don't know Jesus. So Paul here is describing people who don't know Jesus, so keep that in mind. And, and, and therefore, these people are headed towards hell. But listen to what he says about some of these people who don't know Jesus. Having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people. Wow, so here, here he's describing religious people who have a wonderful veneer, who, who look very, uh, looking like they got it together spiritually on the outside, but are completely empty of the gospel uh, because there's no power in their life. Paul what uh, is just reaffirming what Matthew Jesus and many others taught, and what they taught was that the gospel and religion can look very similar. These things can look very similar, but you get beneath the surface, and they are worlds apart. So, if I can pull you into my own story for a moment, and you've probably heard it many times, so I'm just going to give you like a sentence or two, but man, I grew up going to church every Sunday. Uh, I went to all the camps, all the VBSs, you know, I went to it all. So, now here's what's interesting. If you were to, to ask me what I remembered about that, about that church growing up. If you'd ask me what I remember about all the sermons that I'd heard uh, and the Sunday school lessons that I endured, um, here's what I remember. I remember leaving church almost every Sunday feeling bad, not because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, but feeling bad because it was like I could never do enough to please God. Every message was about fornication or the evils of cable or movies or, or how bad we were if we listened to secular music or, or if we drank or, or how we were uh, not like Christ because we didn't go to like a midweek Bible study uh, at the church that week. And I don't remember any passage really that talked about loving Jesus or grace or cultivating a heart uh, that's hungry for Christ. Uh, everything was from this moralistic performance perspective. And, and I left every message feeling defeated. So what did this produce? What did this produce in me? Uh, you know, I, I run into some of the same guys that I went to church with on Facebook now. I don't run into them in, like, in real life. I tend to stay away from there. But I see them on Facebook, and, and it's really sad to see where many of them are. Many of these guys have, have given up on Christ and the church uh, to pursue their own lives. And, I mean, these were guys that were in church with me every Sunday now, of course, even, even if our, the guy who is preaching and teaching to us would have been preaching the gospel, you're not going to bat a thousand. There will be prodigals in the midst of our group. But I can't help but think that maybe, just maybe, that um, what wore these guys out was religion and, and, it, and its emphasis on per, uh, performance and perfection. And so it fatigued these guys, so many of these guys, and, and, and now they're saying, what's the use? I, I can't measure up, so why even try? 
religion just didn't work in that church. So here's what happened to me. I learned what was appropriate. I learned what to say and how to perform. There was no heart. Looking back, uh, I prayed some sinner's prayer when I was 14, but I don't even know that I was saved until college. And I had the appearance of godliness, like, like Paul would say in Second uh, Timothy, had the appearance of godliness, but denied its power. So hear me. Um, that's, that's some of you right now. And, and I, I say this in love to you, but I grieve over you this morning. Uh, you have a wonderful veneer, and it's, and it's an appearance of something, but man, some of you might not have the real deal living inside of you. And so there's no heart, but there's the appearance of something. And I agree for you this morning. I, I don't want you to live another day trying to, to be something that you can never be on your own strength. I, I beg you to fall on your face before Jesus and, and invite him to invade your life. Um, to invite him to invade your life and to so penetrate uh, your heart that he just leaps into and pours out of your soul. I, I want you to have this gospel. And the difference between the gospel and religion is that religion is just externals, outside appearance. But the gospel starts on the inside with a heart and works itself out. And I want this for us. So it's in this context, in this gospel context, we see Matthew 10 and the great teaching on discipleship um, as not just another duty, that's religion, uh, discipleship is not something that I, that I have to do. Okay, Jesus commanded it, so I better, so I better do it. No, you need, to, you need to see this with gospel eyes, with eyes that look at discipleship and says, you want to look at discipleship and say, thank, Jesus, thank you, Jesus, for saving me, for imprinting in my life, and wow, I want to take what you've invested in me and give it away to others. I want that. This is how we have to view discipleship. So this morning we're going to look at two things in our text uh, the purpose of Jesus and the priority of Jesus. I worked it out that way, so it looks good. It looks clean on paper. Uh, the purpose of Jesus and the priority of Jesus. Just two things. All right, so the purpose of Jesus. Notice, we, notice with me in our passage, which begins in verse uh, 34. Look at it with me. Jesus begins with a clear statement on purpose, a very clear statement on purpose. He says that he has not come to bring peace, but a sword. Now, this is, this is troubling, isn't it? You know, after all, Brady, doesn't the Old Testament prophecy say that Jesus uh, would be called the Prince of Peace? So, so what does this mean? What does this mean that he's going to bring a sword? Now, I don't, I don't have time to really go into all of it, but I did do all the research on it. And just know for now that the Old Testament, Old Testament phrase, Prince of Peace, is the idea of shalom. Uh, and shalom is not the idea of tranquility or serenity, uh, but that means wholeness. So the Prince of Peace means the wholeness. Now that's radically different from the Greek word that's used here for peace. The Greek word here means serenity or tranquility. It's a picture of, of a lake which has no ripples, you know, like if a rock was, was thrown into it. It's, it's, um, it, everything is nice and calm and easy. Jesus says that while he is the prince of shalom, the, the prince of whole, he has not come to eradicate all trauma or trials from a person's life. In fact, Jesus says quite the opposite. Not only will he not bring this sort of serenity, but he will bring a sword. Now, let me stop and make two points here. Um, the first uh, being, yet again, this verse flies right into the face of prosperity gospel. Um, how many of you heard of prosperity theology? you probably heard of it. Um, we preach against it because um, it's not the true gospel. Um, and the essence of prosperity theology says that if you pray uh, as you pray as if you should, you know, if, if you give as if you should, uh, or if you have faith as, as you should, uh, you experience serene Jesus, you know, tranquil Jesus, Mr. Rogers' neighborhood sweater Jesus. Um, you won't get the sword Jesus that he says he'll bring. 
you won't have hard times. These people who follow this prosperity gospel have cut this passage basically out of their Bibles because Matthew uh, 10, 34 through 39 just doesn't fit in their gospel. Now, I'm pretty sure all of us are aware of the devastating earthquake that hit Haiti like five years ago or something like that. Y'all remember that? It was like really devastating like five years ago. I think it was five years ago. I don't know. I'm terrible. I should have looked that up. Um, I don't know if you saw it, but there was this heart-wrenching video. I think it was posted on Facebook, and I watched it and was like a wreck. I think I had to like leave work. Not really, but I was a wreck after watching it. But it was about a little boy who had his leg crushed during the earthquake. Um, he had been buried, and kind of this kind of infection had set in in his leg. Uh, well, into this video, um, they're having to amputate his leg with little or no anesthetic, uh, and his dad is holding him, and he's screaming uh, in horror at the doctor as he's coming with the, the sword to cut off his leg. And, and why did this have to happen? Well, because in order for his body to experience the healing uh, that it needed to, the sword had to be brought to one part of the, uh, that the whole may live. And it's because the father understood this, that he was willing to let the doctor do this to his child, uh, even though he was screaming. Jesus doesn't bring the sword because he's mean. He doesn't bring the sword because it's... He brings the sword because it's what's best for the kingdom. He brings, what, he brings the sword because it's best for the kingdom of God and his purposes here on earth, uh, along with our lives. In fact, friends, you want to know what cruelty is? Because I would say that Jesus bringing the, the sword is not cruelty. What, bringing, uh, what, what I would say was cruelty is, the epitome of cruelty, is for that father to not let that doctor uh, cut his child's leg. Likewise, prosperity theology is a cruel theology because it seeks to remove the sword, uh, the doctor's knife from our lives. And that, my friends, I would say that that's cruel. Because, but secondly, I think that the verse in 32 teaches us that Jesus uh, understood his purpose. Jesus totally understood his purpose for being here on earth. Look at that verse again in 34. Jesus was crystal clear on what he thought about bringing the sword and what he wasn't about, tranquility. He was about bringing the sword and wasn't about tranquility. From, from a very human and basic understanding, I think that is what Jesus' uh, pinpoint clarity on his purpose that aided greatly to the effectiveness here on earth. That's why I think Jesus was effective. Man, he, he, he knew what he was about and knew what he wasn't about. Uh, that application to our lives is, is immediate and obvious, you know, I think that our most effective lives and the people who are the most effective and they know, they know who they are and, and, um, and what they're about and what they're not about. And so the sooner that you and I can get there and discover this is why God created me and this is what he's created me for, the better positioned that I think we will be for long-term effectiveness uh, and usefulness in the hands of God. So we're going to look at the first one. It's the, uh, the, the second one, I believe. Yes, second one. Uh, the priority of Jesus. And right on the heels of the purpose, right on the heels of Jesus um, talking about um, his purpose, right on the heels of that. Look at verses 35 through 39. It says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves his father more more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me, he is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Here's what Jesus is saying here in essence. Um, when, he entered into a relationship, when we entered into a relationship with one another, when Jesus and I entered into a relationship with one another, I immediately uh, became the priority in a relationship. That's what Jesus is saying. He's like, I immediately became the priority in a relationship in your life. And that's what this relationship um, that takes priority even over your family, over the world, and even over the relationship that you have with yourself. Um, 
that Jesus is to be the priority relationship in your lives. And if you, in Revelations 2, 4, it says, listen to this. I always, always, this always rocks my world. But Revelations 2, 4 says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. One translation says first love. In other words, Jesus, he gets upset with the church because uh, he was no longer, he was no longer first. He was no longer the priority relationship uh, in their lives. Jesus says, um, I'm not priority. And because I'm the priority, there's going to be tension in all your relationships in your life. So adult leader husbands, you guys in the back there, um, think back to when, when, when you first met and fell in love with a woman who's now your wife. Um, think real hard, and, and I'll try to do the same as I think back to this pretty serious girlfriend I had that I was really close to getting engaged with, so I can kind of relate, not fully, but kind of relate. Uh, it was a girl named Becca, and prior to Becca coming to my life, I, I played basketball whenever I wanted for how long I wanted. Prior to Becca coming around, man, I hung with the fellas all the time. Before Becca, I did whatever I wanted and whenever I wanted it. See, when Becca and I started hanging, there was some tension with my boys. They'd say stuff like, what's gotten into you? She's got you whipped. You know, you ain't, you ain't hanging no more. They'd be upset. You know, there would be this, this, some tension there. But once Becca and I became a, official, when my, my phone rang and I had a conversation with another girl with Becca in the room, there'd be some tension there. And for you adult leaders who are married, your money was no longer your money. You know, it was our money. And, and maybe there was some tension there. Why? Because now she's the priority. And, the prior, and as the priority, I have to reshuffle the deck and how I relate uh, to other people. And that's going to create some tension uh, either way. Many don't, like, many don't like this. Many of you don't like this. In fact, many marriages end up in divorce or at least, uh, at the very least, never knowing the, the full enjoys of, of marriage because uh, they're trying to be married uh, and, and function as if they're single all at once. They're trying to do this all at once making their bros or their hobbies or their jobs or themselves as a priority uh, and not their spouse. So a story, a funny story one time is told, uh, it's a bunch, of, a bunch of old guys one Sunday afternoon, they're on a golf course, and four men were on the green, and, and they were lining up to, to hit their putts, uh, and a funeral procession, you know, slowly went, went down the street behind them. One of the golfers, you know, dropped his putter, he removed his cap, and he placed it over his heart, and, um, and uh, bowing his head in silence as the cars kind of moved by, when, when the procession was over, he picked up his putter and lined up his putt, but right before he hit uh, the ball, one of the golfers in the group said, wait a minute, man, in all my years of knowing you, I've, I've never seen you do a more considerate thing. That was moving. And then the guy responded, it was the least I could do. We were married for 35 years. So sad, sad to her, to her death, he refused to make her a priority. To his death, he refused to make her a priority. Instead of being at the funeral, he was on the golf course. And, and maybe that's some of us with Jesus. I know it's a funny story, but maybe that's some of us with Jesus. Could it be the reason why we don't experience much tension in our lives when it comes to Christ is because we squeeze him into our lives when it's convenient. We squeeze Jesus into our lives only when it's convenient. You know, he's, he's, not, he's not the first priority. He's not our first love, like Revelation would say. We're not too fanatical when it comes, when it comes to Jesus. We've, we've just had en- we've just have enough Jesus to, to make us acceptable, but not too much to make us radical. Listen, Jesus says, I want to be first. I want to be the priority. And it's masterful what he does in our text. Jesus, Jesus says that the way you know that I'm the priority relationship in your life is that I will cause some tension on some levels. Experiencing any tension in your life because of Jesus. Uh, when was the last time that you've experienced maybe some tension in your life because of Jesus? When was the last time someone looked at you strange or, or backed away from you because of Jesus? 
Because if he's first, our text teaches us, there will be some tension. So we're going to look at the three. Um, family tension. What now follows in some, some short of masterful, uh, Jesus says, when I, when I get into your life and become the priority, uh, expect tension when it comes to your family, your world, and yourself. First, Jesus begins with the family. And look what it says in verses 35 through 37. It says, For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of, a, of his own household. For whoever loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. The key word here is obviously loves. Jesus says, in essence, that whoever loves their family more than me is not worthy of me. So what does that mean? What does that mean? A problem uh, with this passage is typically the approach that we take. Uh, in order to understand the word loves, we need to approach this. Uh, we don't need to approach this grammatically, but we need to, to approach this culturally. And so I'm going to unpack that for a second. And if you were to go over to Israel right now, uh, I don't know if, if any of you have ever been to Israel or plan on going. I'd love to go, but I'm poor. Um, but if I ever get to go to Israel, man, one of the things that uh, will strike you uh, is that in some sections of Israel, you'll see homes that are attached to each other. In the Jewish culture of Jesus' day, uh, it was quite common for the groom to build a new home uh, for his wife to be attached to their family. This, this, quite honestly, is what you did in that culture. Those whom you loved, you attached yourselves to. So that the idea that came to mind when the Jews heard of love so when, when Jesus is saying this and, and what the idea that the Jews heard when, when Jesus is saying this is, is not so much of a feeling but a sense of attachment. Who I loved, I attached myself to. This is why when a rabbi would come along and grab a young man uh, to be his disciple, it was, it was no small thing for what this meant was that he had to detach himself uh, from his family, attach himself to the rabbi, thus showing their new... Um, thus showing that their new rabbi was the priority relationship in their lives. Uh, study, if you study the Word, follow the Gospel of Matthew, and you'll catch some of these same overtones throughout the whole uh, book of Matthew. When the disciples followed Jesus, uh, this, is simply, this isn't simply love speaking for it, but this is simply love speaking for attaching themselves. You see that? For again, whom you love, you will attach yourselves to. So when Jesus says, you can't love your father or more than mother more than me, He's not talking just about feelings here. He's talking about devotion, a sense of attachment. That at the end of the day, what mom or daddy uh, say or what son or daughter do is never to override my attachment to Jesus. And when these conflicts, and when we, uh, and when these conflicts, we should always go with Jesus. And so many of us have, have heard of the great 18th, 19th uh, century missionary. Maybe some of you, I think Dr. Young's quoted him once since I've been here. Uh, William Carey. Uh, William, man, he spent his his early years in England, and there he, would, he, met, he, um, he had met his wife Dorothy there in England. And when they met and married, uh, he was a shoemaker. But then he, he felt God's call to, to do a mission field, to go in the mission field in India, and his wife resisted and rebelled, uh, refusing to go at first. William Carey thought of our passage that we're looking at and went into the mission field without her. It was his conviction that his wife had put him in a position to where he had to choose between her and Jesus. And in the spirit of this text, our passage, Carey chose Jesus. But now here's the question. What does this look like in our lives? Chances are uh, this won't happen to any of us. In fact, uh, in the Bible Belt here in Memphis, many of us probably come from homes where our parents believe in Jesus. And so how do we see tension among family? Well, maybe your parents want you to go to a college that you've rooted for their football team since you were still inside your mother. You know, that's what they want for you. 
you know, but you're thinking that you want to go to a school that has like a great education program for what you want to do or uh, a great ministry on the college campus or a local church nearby that you can go and get plugged into. Maybe you want to not go on the sixth family vacation that you're going to go on this summer, but want to instead possibly go to like SOS or, or Honduras and, and, and help people. Maybe, maybe your decision to do these things uh, or, or want to do these things has caused tension. Uh, why care about a Bible teaching, college ministry, local church, good education programs for my college choice? Why go roof houses in the hot sun of S- at SOS uh, instead of go to the beach and just chill for the seventh week of the summer? And there's, and there's been a sense of detachment in your relationship with your parents because you want to do these things. The gospel, excuse me, the gospel and making Jesus the priority uh, has thrown the relationship a little off and you've kind of felt the sword. Uh, but rest in him, rest in the promise of Jesus because you've done that Jesus tells you and you're worthy of him. Now that's not an excuse just to go disobey your parents. Like I said earlier, uh, only, only do these things when they conflict. Uh, but we're going to look at worldly tension. But not only will oh, having Jesus the priority relationship cause tension with the family, it, it could also cause tension with the world. Look at verse 38. It says, Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And if you want to circle the word cross, do it, because this was the subject that Jesus always talked about. The method of execution, the symbol of shame and the rejection, the cross. And I, I don't think we really get uh, the feelings that the Jews might have felt when they heard uh, the term cross because um, the cross was like a very terrible way uh, to be executed. I mean, still really is. Uh, there was once a Jewish revolt um, that happened one time. It was led by a guy named uh, Judas of Galilee against the Romans. It was eventually squashed by the Roman general Varus, uh, having instilled order. Varus, Varus needed to teach a lesson to the Jews. He was going to teach them a lesson. Uh, and, and others who thought that might got the idea to rebel against the Romans. And so he went out. He rounded up over about 2,000 Jews. So this guy goes and grabs 2,000 Jews. Um, and at the same time, he, he had crosses strategically placed along the roads of Rome for people to see. Large crowds formed, jeered, and ridiculing these rebellious Jews, shaming them. He had all 2,000-plus Jews crucified on these crosses along the Roman roads publicly, uh, humiliating and embarrassing these Jews. It's in that context that Jesus, um, that the Jesus, whoever doesn't take his cross and follow me, is not worthy of me. What? This is counterintuitive. See, I think our natural tendency when it comes to the world is to be accepted and embraced by it. Would you agree? I think that's my natural tendency. I, I would think it's some of yours. Is you want to be embraced uh, by the world. We, we long to be loved by the world, to be esteemed by the world. But instead, Jesus says that getting into a priority relationship with me means being rejected and shamed by the world. We even sang it in the first song that we sang. In other words, Jesus says, you'll know that I'm the priority in your life when there's a tension between you and the world. Again, the question becomes, Brady, okay, our context is a little different, so what does this look like uh, in 21st century America uh, in a so-called Christian nation to have tension in the world? Well, maybe some of these quick analogies can help. Um, I have some friends who renounced Christ uh, and kind of went the way of the world. You know, I was out to eat with with them, and I I shared, um, and one of them shared his journey and kind of criticized the arrogance of Christians and assuming that they had the only way, and he kind of he kind of subtly like beckoned me to kind of go with him. But I kind of I refused and stood for Christ. And our friendship has never really kind of been the same, which we also sang about a, a situation like that in one of our songs. Um, but there's some tension there. I, I've been accused of, of those living in the homosexual lifestyle being kind of narrow-minded and a fundamentalist because of my views on homosexuality. 
there's some tension there. Or, or take a good friend of mine who was denied a job at a television show uh, in Hollywood because he, because he was a Christian. He was denied because of that. Um, there's some tension there. And Jesus' point is clear. When I become the priority relationship in your life, man, you can count on tension. The third one, last one, tension with yourself. Finally, Jesus says, count on tension with yourself. Look at verse 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And this verse is interesting, and if you want to underline a word, underline the word life. Uh, it's the Greek word. I looked it up. It means uh, sukai, from which we get the English words uh, as psychology from. This, simp- this word simply means soul. Now, the soul is the internal aspect of us. And, and Jesus says, whoever finds this sukai, stop right there. This word means to search for something. And the implication is to search for it without Christ. So if I put it all together, listen to this. I'm putting all that together for you. That was kind of a, that was intense. Kind of like what you go camping in. Um, Jesus says, whoever searches for true life outside of Christ will end up losing the very thing that they were looking for. But instead, Jesus says, whoever loses their life for his sake will find it. It's a universal fact, man, that everybody, every one of us are searching for, for meaning and true and lasting meaning. All of us are on a quest and we're all searching. Yet the great tragedy is that most of us are searching outside of Jesus. Many of us are searching uh, for this, this meaning and true, um, lasting meaning outside of Jesus. Because of this, Jesus says two things. The search, uh, the, the search first of all can only be found in him. And secondly, we only find when we, when we end up losing. Or to say it another way, losing is finding. Another counterintuitive, is it not? Man, I remember uh, man, trying to teach my little cousin... Uh, the game of Uno. How many of you played Uno before? Okay, many of you. And, man, that was tough. For for some reason, he had it in his mind that whoever has the most cards wins. Uh, I tried for a while to convince him that this was not the case, uh, but he was he just wasn't getting it. He actually thought that if I can collect and collect and collect as many cards as possible, that makes me the winner. Uh, in other words, he thought collecting was winning, but you and I both know that's not how the game of Uno is played. In Uno, collecting isn't winning. Getting rid of All your cars, the quickest, is actually winning. The goal of Uno is to get rid of or lose as many cars as possible. Uh, And whoever loses them first wins. Uno teaches us a solid biblical principle uh, found right here in our passage. Losing is winning. Some of you are like my little cousin. You think that the game of life that's collecting is winning. Collecting more money, uh, more clothes, just stuff. But Jesus says, actually it's losing that's winning. You want to find me? In the words of Marshall Mathers, a.k.a. Eminem, uh, lose yourself not in the music, but lose yourself in Jesus. Uh, it's only when we lose ourselves in Him that we truly win. And so, man, that's kind of what I wanted to, to share with you guys this morning is that, man, there's going to be some tensions in your relationships. There's going to be. If you're, if you're truly following Jesus, there will be some tensions in your relationships. And so... Um, Man, I think this, I think this really kind of is a cool way to get to see, man, what does the gospel look like in, inside my life? And so, man, I, I, just, I just hope that this morning, um, man, that you wouldn't leave here um, maybe not getting to know that gospel. Uh, you know, I'd hate for you to leave this morning and not get to experience a gospel that really just changed you from the inside out. Um, so if you, if, you, if you would love to talk with someone, you know, that's why we're here. We're not just here to kind of do a thing on Sunday mornings, go ballroom dancing on a Saturday night and eat cherries before a Wednesday night thing. Um, and if you'd love to know more about this gospel and, and what Christ has really done on the cross for you, 
man, come find one of us, me, Kenzie, Landon, one of your adult leaders. We'd love to just kind of get to share more with you uh, about something that you can't do, which is save yourself, uh, but someone who could do it for you. So let me pray, and we'll dismiss. Um,